Our reading is from Romans 12, 2 to 8. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God's word. And so this morning, we're going to wrap up our spring series on the health and wealth gospel. And when we began this series, I framed this in the, the idea of that there is a kind of a branch or a version or a rolling out of Christian faith that teaches us that we can experience wealth and health in life if we would just have enough faith, and that if we can just believe enough, then these things will be ours. And the assumption is that enough faith will bring about God's blessing in our lives. And what I've been suggesting over the course of this month is that the way we live for others, the care that we take of our bodies, the friendships that we build, the attitudes we develop toward our possessions, all of these are part of nurturing and maturing our faith. All of these are a part of our growing up. We can't assume that our spiritual life is somehow separate from our everyday life, that there are certain spiritual things that we can do that help us grow in faith, and that there are unspiritual things that have nothing to do with a life of faith. We sang this song earlier, you don't see the lines we draw between secular and sacred, a reminder to us that, that God doesn't see things that way, that it's not about here are some special things that will help you grow and here are just normal everyday things. And this isn't just a new song either. This really is something that we've been chasing after as a church community for a long time. We wrote our key values as a church probably 15 years ago. One of those is called spirit-centered living, and, and there's a line from it that goes like this. We don't want to divide life into the spiritual and the non-spiritual, and instead prefer to acknowledge that all of life is permeated with the presence of God. This helps us avoid separating matters of faith from ordinary life and frees us to live one life centered in God. So this is what we've been chasing after for a long time. And so along with the areas that we've already explored this month, I want to suggest that understanding ourselves, how we're wired, our personalities, is a key component of living a healthy and balanced life. As Socrates is quoted as saying 2,400 years ago, the unexamined life is not worth living. If we don't pay attention to our lives, take stock of who we are, then we're not living life to its fullest. And so this morning, we'll explore the importance of seeking an answer to the question, who is this person that God has uniquely created me to be? So our reading begins 
from the book of Romans, Paul writing to the church in Rome, this fledgling group of believers in this city that was the epicenter of the world, and he tells them, do not conform to the pattern of the world. A couple of weeks ago, uh, it was just me and the boys at home for dinner. Melissa and Sophie were out somewhere, probably at ball, and uh, we were sitting around, and at the end of dinner, for some reason, Jude stands up and he's like, um, you know, if I ever do a stand-up comedy routine, this is going to be my bit. And he gets up and he tells this story. He does this little comedy routine for Owen and I. He's like, so in grade six, it's the year-end party, and we're all told that we got to bring something to contribute to the potluck. And so some people are assigned snacks, and some people are assigned desserts, and other people are assigned drinks. And so we get there in the class, and there's like donuts, and there's like cupcakes, and there's this lineup of bottle of pops. And you know what I brought into the, into the class potluck at the end of the year party? I brought in a bottle of cranberry juice. He said, that's right. That's what I was given to bring in to the school potluck. He says, so through the day, the teacher was saying, you got to eat all this stuff up. We're not wasting anything. And so all day long, all, of the, all the kids are eating. They're eating their brownies. They're eating their cupcakes. They're eating their donuts. They're drinking the pop. And at the end of the day, it's all gone, except one item. At the end of the row, there is an unopened bottle of cranberry juice. And the teacher holds up the bottle of cranberry juice in front of the whole class and says, who brought the cranberry juice? And I didn't make eye contact with anybody. I just kept my head down. And he goes on to say that at the end of the day when, when all the kids were packing up their stuff to leave, he, he quickly snuck the cranberry juice and put it back into his backpack and zipped it up so no one would know. Jeez, what terrible parents. And so last week, when he had his grade eight year, end of the year potluck, he sent his mother this text. I am assigned a bottle of pop for my class potluck on Friday. Pop. Okay. All right, so perhaps there is a time and a place for conformity. Maybe sometimes you just need to bring a bottle of pop. But not all of the time and not every place and certainly not with our whole lives. When it comes to life, it's better to bring a bottle of cranberry juice than just another bottle of pop. After all, every one of us is unique. Everywhere we look, we see people who are different than us, who look, dress, and talk differently, who shop at different stores, listen to different music, eat different food, but they're different from us in other, less obvious ways too. Those are the things that we can tell about our differences. But the words that set them off are often different than us. The way other people respond to stress, how they feel about themselves, the way they experience different emotions, how they prefer to communicate, all of these things are also different between us, although it's more difficult for us to see them. It was probably like 10 years ago when I was doing this, this kind of leadership development piece and, and I took a part in something called a Berkman profile. I don't know if you're familiar with this. So a Berkman profile, it's like a personality profile and it has to do with kind of like your own personal style of interacting and leadership with other people. And so the idea is that you, you do this profile and then ideally you're kind of looking at other people on your team uh, or it could be in your family or something like that who have done this, and you see maybe where there are points you're going to click really well together, and maybe if there are points of tension. 
And so I did this, and I remember sitting down with the coach, and, and we were in a Starbucks, and he's, he's going through, he's explaining how the whole thing works, and he says, okay, so let's look at this area right here. And so I just got a little screenshot of my profile. So if you look, uh, the way that this is done, it's not like a scale of good to bad, it's just a scale of like 1 to 99. Like how, how extreme are these aspects of your personality? And so he points this out to me, as you can see kind of at the top, my usual style of interacting with someone in a one-on-one -on -one relationship is as extreme to one end as you can get. And what this is basically saying is that I am direct and straightforward with people. I will just tell you what I'm thinking, and it doesn't really matter anything else, what you'll think about that or what you expect or what you want. I just say it. That's what I do. Um, and what I need from other people, not quite as extreme but also close, is that I need other people to be straightforward with me. So I need other people to just tell me exactly what they're thinking and not beat around the bush. And so I'm like, oh, cool. And he's just like, like so he said, I want to like, help you understand that nobody is like this. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I've done this a lot. He's like, nobody is like this. Nobody is that extremely direct and straightforward with people and then actually wants them to be direct and straightforward with them. He said, nobody wants people to shoot straight with them. Everyone wants them to be respectful and gentle and cautious. And he's like, so how do you think this would impact like, your relationships with other people? And I was like, oh, wow. And then I started noticing it all the time, right? I'm noticing, oh, yeah, okay, that's why I do that. That's why I don't like that. That's why that bothers me. And so it's just one example of many. As I started to learn, like, okay, I am a uniquely created person, and the way that I'm wired, the way I see the world, the way I interact with people, it is just different than basically anyone else. And that's the same for every one of us. And so this is what I'm talking about this morning, the, uh, the idea of understanding how we're created so that we can live healthier whole and whole lives. On the Berkman website, they have this line. They say that behind every personality is a deeply rooted set of perspectives that impact everything we do, a mindset. And when I read that, I was like, and this is at least part of what Paul is writing about here. He does say don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but he gives us an alternative. He says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And honestly, I mean, I don't want to sound extreme, but I think this passage is one of the most important passages for us to wrap our heads around if we want to understand what it means to be people of faith. That we're not to be conformed to the pattern of the world around us, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's so key to understanding our spiritual maturity. But of course, before we can renew our minds, we have to become familiar with them. We have to have a better understanding of how do our minds actually work. Not just like how does the human mind work, but how does my mind work? How does your mind work? Because when we begin to understand that, then we can understand maybe what the next steps of renewal might be. There's an ancient maxim which I, which I took for a, uh, a title this morning, Know Thyself, which is basically another way of saying learn how to be who you are. Learn how to be who you are. Like This is who you are, so spend your life learning how to be that person. And so reflecting back on that Berkman exercise and other things that I've done like that a lot over the years, I could never mature in the way that I interacted with people until I became aware of my starting point, until I acknowledged how I was wired and my, what my default settings were. That allows me to now make adjustments to have healthier relationships with other people, to be healthier in the way that I see myself and the world around me. There's this line in John Steinbeck's novel, East of Eden, uh, where he was writing about a character named Cal. He says, Cal's trying to find himself. I guess this personal hide-and-seek is not unusual, and some people are it all their lives, hopelessly it. 
And I thought, what a great line. Like, we're all playing this game of hide-and-seek where we're trying to find ourselves, and for some of us, it's just a lifelong endeavor. Finding, knowing, understanding yourself, it is a lifelong endeavor, but it's the small discoveries that we make along the way that move us closer and closer to authentic living. So Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what happens if we do that? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We won't be able to do this if we conform and just try to be like other people, but only as we come to know ourselves as the unique people God has created us to be and as we enter into this lifelong renewal process. Mark Twain once quipped, we seldom dwell in truth when contemplating ourselves. So if knowing ourselves is important, if examining our lives is important, then we have to make sure that we do it truthfully. Paul goes on to write that, for the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. So if we're going to do this self-examine, uh, if we're going to take a look at our lives, if we're going to try to understand ourselves, well, we can't try to fool ourselves. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Uh, back in the spring when we were doing these noon hour Lenten exercises, we'd gather in the church, a small group, group of us, and, and just to have a pause in the middle of the week. And uh, one of the exercises, I, I can't remember who decided to do this, so I won't point any fingers, but one of the exercises involved a station up here at the, the front of the church where you had to take a mirror and you had to look in it, and then you had to like record, like write down what you thought when you looked in the mirror. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll pick up the mirror. And when I looked in the mirror, this is what I thought. I thought, I'm tired and I'm old. <laughs> like, that's what I thought. Like, those are just the things that came to my mind. I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. What does that say about me? Um, that's maybe another issue. Now, for some of us, looking in a mirror, it's a great way to keep grounded. So Paul's like, don't think of yourself too highly. And so for some of us, it's easy. It's just like walk into the bathroom, look in the mirror. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm not that great. And then you walk out, right? But rather, he goes on, think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, looking in a mirror is one thing. That's just surface. Taking a deeper look inside is another. Asking questions about who we are, what's unique about us, what are our strengths, but also what are our weaknesses, what are our gifts, but also what are our failings. That's challenge, which is why, as Paul says, thinking of myself with sober judgment is an act of faith. Thinking of myself with sober judgment as an act of faith. The easy way out is to conform to what we see around us, to become what others want us to be, to avoid the uncomfortable task of really and truly getting to know ourselves. But the easy path comes with a heavy price of its own. To complete the triumvirate of American authors, Nathaniel Hawthorne writes, no man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which may be the true. Well, now there's a really interesting observation of what Paul was saying. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Why? Well, at least one reason is that if you do that, eventually you won't even have a clue which is the real you. Is it the face that you weigh, that you wear out in public so that you can get along with people? Or is it the person you really are? You won't even know. Part of the reason we agree to wear masks is that we don't like what's under them. We figure, if I can fool everyone else, well, then maybe I can fool myself over time. And it might work for a season. And it might even work for a long season. But it won't work forever. Psychologist Eric Fromm writes that the individual's greatest strength is based on the maximum of integration of his personality. 
And that means also on the maximum of transparency to himself. So I can try to reword this a little bit because it's a little wordy. He's basically saying, if you want to get to a place of health, you have to find a way to integrate who you are with all of your life. But the only way that you can get there is by being open and honest with yourself. You can't play these games of conforming and pretending to be someone else, of trying to look better than you are, of not daring to look in the mirror of your life. You got to do that if you want to get to this place of living an integrated, whole, and healthy life. And so when was the last time you spent time getting to know the real you? The last time you slowed down enough to really pay attention to the way that God has created you? We can go a long time without doing that. We can protect ourselves from that kind of quiet and that kind of aloneness for a long time. Because a lot of us don't want to look into the mirror. We don't want to really face up to who we are. I, re I used to be like that for sure. And I remember, oh, how long ago was this? 15 years ago probably. I took a, a trip. It was at the beginning of a sabbatical leave. And I've told part of this story before where uh, friends of ours lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and they offered for me to come and stay with them for a stretch for a week uh, while they were down there. And so I bought a plane ticket, and then in between the time when I bought the plane ticket and when I was supposed to go, um, one of them lost a job, and they had to move back to Ontario. And so what ended up happening is they said, well, we haven't sold the house yet, so you can go and live in our empty house on your own for the week, which is what I did. Now, at this point in my life, I would have run for the hills rather than spend time on my own for an extended period. Um, but I bought this ticket and so I showed up. And uh, the first night I was there, I kind of go into this house and it's really weird. I don't know anyone in the city. I don't know anyone around. And I remember going out to Walmart to pick up some groceries and I came back to the house. And as soon as I shut the door behind me, I just started like weeping. Totally out of character, totally random. And what I realized was I was afraid of being that alone. I was like, I do not want to spend the next six days with just me. That's not going to be fun. But as it turned out, it was actually an incredible experience, really a life-changing experience, because it taught me that actually spending time alone, it, it really allows you to get to know yourself better than when we're just surrounded by other people and the noise of whatever's going on in life around us. And it's something that I've actually valued and sought out intentionally ever since that accidental week alone. Creating space for introspection, it can be scary, but it can also be rewarding. You don't have to fly to another country and spend a week alone, but you could spend a day alone. You could carve out a couple of days where it's really just you and yourself and God. That would be a valuable way to understand yourself more. See, God sees who you are on the inside and longs for you to open your heart to him. And that's not something you're probably going to be willing to do with the bustle of everyday life. We fear it, though. We get nervous about looking inside and facing up to who we are. Henry Nouwen says, you'll hear voices saying, you are worthless. You have nothing to offer. You're unattractive, undesirable, unlovable. Do not be afraid, he writes. Keep deepening your conviction that God's love for you is enough. Keep clinging to the real, lasting, and unambiguous love of Jesus. Whenever you doubt that love, return to your inner spiritual home and listen there to love's voice. We don't have to be afraid of 
facing up to who we are on the inside. God tells us we're loved. He tells us it's okay. But knowing thyself doesn't have to happen in silence or in solitude. It can happen really well in community as well. It can happen in community with a friend, a trusted friend who you're willing to actually explore these areas of your life, to sit down and say, I want to figure out who God has created me to be, and I want you to help. I want you to reflect back what you see. I want you to, to help this. It can happen with a significant other. It can happen in a small group environment where that kind of trust is built, where we say we don't just want to talk about what's going on in our weeks. We actually want to figure out who has God created each of us to be. There are tools that can be used. Many of you have probably at some point in your life used like a Myers-Briggs type indicator, or you've heard people talk about, oh, I'm an ESFP, or I'm an INTJ, or these kind of word combinations. Um, these are, can be great tools to help you understand that maybe this is a little bit of how you're wired. A lot of people are quite excited about the Enneagram these days, and, and maybe the Enneagram can be a tool, it's kind of an ancient tool that's having a renaissance that can be used to, to help understand personality. Actually, I'm going to use this opportunity to shamelessly plug um, a Kickstarter campaign, not by someone I know, um, but this gal has, uh, this young woman has designed a, a card game based on the Enneagram where you sit around with your friends and talk about your unique personality traits. I was like, that sounds like a fun night. And most of you in this room are like, I would rather just die. Right? And I was like, this is awesome. So anyways, it's called Nine Shapes. Go on and support her. And, and hopefully they can actually make this game. And then we can sit around in our living rooms and talk about, well, this is what I think. Wow. That would be just so much more fun than playing Catan. You can read uh, books. Remember those things that people used to read? Like, like books. They're awesome. And they can help us. Uh, understand, again, there's so many, so many wise people out there. I've quoted a number of them here um, already this morning that can help us understand how we're wired. Listen to podcasts, not just for entertainment value, but people who are willing to poke and prod and push you into uncom uncomfortable territory. Let's invite God to reveal to us who we really are and who he longs for us to become. And let's commit to the process of renewing our minds so that we can know God's will. As followers of Jesus, we should be neither ashamed of nor content with who we are at any given moment. Just embrace and accept and continue the journey of growth. But Paul didn't finish there. He had one other piece that he talks about in this reading from this morning. He says, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Every body has its different body parts. This last week we had a, a Jude's baseball team was playing, and one of the teammates, before the season even started, he was using a knife and his hand slipped and he sliced a tendon in his finger. And so he's missed the whole season to this point, but he showed up in the dugout before our game this week and all the guys were like, hey, how's it going? And so it was a tendon in his baby finger, and so his baby finger doesn't straighten properly. And then there was this debate that broke out on the bench. Well, you don't need your baby finger to throw a ball. Like, why haven't you been playing? What's the problem here? Like, you, you know, you don't grip a baseball with your baby finger, and then someone else grabs a ball, and they're like, well, you kind of use it at the side a little bit. And this debate is going back and forth between these, like, 14, 15-year-olds about whether you need a baby finger to throw a baseball. Every part of the body has a contribution. Every part of the body matters. This is what Paul is reminding us of. We have different gifts, he says, according to the grace given to each of us. Not, given, not according to all the work that we've done, but according to the grace that God has given us. Thomas Merton has this beautiful book uh, called No Man is an Island. And there's a part of the book where he 
picks up on the specific phrase. He says, since no man is an island, since we all depend on one another, I cannot work out God's will in my own life unless I also consciously help other men to work out his will in theirs. And this is where this passage just gets beautiful, right? So for a while, it seems like I'm talking about just get on your own and figure out who you are and then go and live that. But Paul's like, no, 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 we're all members of the body and we all work together. And what Merton is saying here is like, because we're all linked, because we're all part of the body, because we all work together, you can never actually figure out who you are unless you're helping others figure out who they are at the same time. It's beautiful. Let's go back to this passage from Romans 12 again, verses 6 to 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Do you get the point? Like you could just keep going on and on and on. This, this verse could just go on for the next half hour, talking about all of the different gifts that you and or the person beside you can bring to the community. Far from being an unfortunate side effect, of existence, our unique personalities and perspective, our unique gifts actually work together to strengthen the body that we're a part of. And then Merton continues, God's will is our transformation in Christ, our deeper and fuller integration with other men. And this integration results not in the absorption and disappearance of our own personality, being conformed to the pattern of the world, but in its affirmation and its perfection transformation by the renewing of our mind. There's an element of knowing ourselves that requires us to get alone with God, but there's another element that calls us into relationship with one another, which brings us back full circle to where this series began, living for others. You want to experience spiritual growth, you want to experience health and wealth in life, then pour out your lives for the people around you. If the unexamined life is not worth living, and so is a life that doesn't cascade out into the world around it, where we're able to give and receive in a process of mutual growth. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'd like to just read a closing quote and then pray um, before we head out into our discussion groups. For those who may be here for the first time this morning, uh, when I'm done talking, it's your turn to talk, and so we all kind of make our way into the gym, and there are tables there, and I've written some questions around this morning's theme that'll help us dive into some good conversation. So we'd invite you to linger here, and remember there'll be some people from the pastoral care team to pray with you, or we invite you to join some good conversation. There's this great quote from Annie Dillard. She says, week after week, we witness the same miracle, that God, for reasons unfathomable, refrains from blowing our dancing bear act to smithereens. Week after week, Christ washes the disciples' dirty feet, handles their very toes, and repeats... It is all right, believe it or not, to be people. We're just people doing the best we can with what we've been given. And as the song we sang earlier reminded us, life is a gift and the giver is good. Let us pray. Lord, we give thanks. And for some of us, it's going to be hard to do this, but we give thanks for being the people you've created us to be. Not just for the best parts of us, but for the darker parts of us as well, the weaker parts of us. God, I pray that you would help us to accept who we are and then also accept the challenge of this transformation, of this renewal of our minds, of this being formed into your image. God, I pray that you would help us 
to be risk takers enough to find ourselves alone with you where we can dive deep and listen to what you have to say about us. And I also pray that we would be risk takers enough to sit down with the people in this room or the people in our families or our friend circles and ask these same kind of questions so we can help sharpen one another. In all things, God, at the end of this series that we've been talking about, I pray that we wouldn't just think that believing enough is going to get us what we need in life, but that we'd be willing to put the hard work in. And as we do that hard work, as we take those risks, as we put that effort in, that we invite you to be a part of it all along the way. In Christ's name, amen.